O Christ, who emptied himself for us, give us today the gift of humility, so that we would realize a true and true thankfulness for things we too often take for granted. We would remember and thank you today for these most precious gifts, for life and for breath, for shelter, for this meal and all meals, and for a span of days in which to live and choose what use we would make of our time. Give us grace to make wise investment of the days you have given us this week, that by our thoughts and words and actions we might love you well. As we pause at this cresting of the week, guide us, O Spirit of God, in a brief and sober reflection on our daily stewardships and habits. Guide us, O God, search now our willing hearts. That was from Every Moment Holy Wednesdays. Table Blessing, a book of liturgies produced by The Rabbit Room, written by Douglas McKelvey. You are listening to episode three of Lavish Hospitality. I'm Kimberly Campbell, and welcome to my table. I wanted to take an opportunity here at the beginning of doing this podcast to tell you why I named the podcast Lavish Hospitality. You may think hey, she's going to talk about food, or she's going to talk about design, or she's going to talk about home life. And you know, I'm going to talk about all things because if you know me, you know, I love food. And you know, I love design in the home. But you probably also know that I'm terrible at keeping the house clean and decluttered. So we always have to work on some things. But I'm not mainly meaning hospitality in the Southern living type way or taste of home or food network magazine. I'm not going to spend every podcast episode talking about food, though I probably could and would rather enjoy it. In some podcast episodes, we will talk about food because food is an integral part of all of our lives to some degree or another. But I wanted to talk a little bit about my intro or whatever into hospitality, why that's important to me, and what I mean by the term lavish hospitality. When I was growing up, we didn't really have a lot of people in our home. I remember one visiting business associate of my dad's that stayed in our home. It was around this time of year. I got a bunny and an Easter basket from him from Ireland. And other than the women's ladies circle, we called it in the primitive Baptist church. I don't remember having people over. We would have family, but we weren't really a family that had people over every Sunday or had parties or everybody came over to play in the backyard. We just weren't. I mean, my dad worked swing shift. My mother's health wasn't good. We didn't go to a large church and we lived about 20 minutes from our church. So oftentimes we went to other people's homes and that was fine. I didn't know any better. So I don't know if it would be any different today if like I was growing up today with my parents. I don't know if, wow, I just learned it wherever and I got to practice hospitality. I mean, it's kind of ingrained in you that, hey, we just live life and this is what we do. Well, I got to college and met several people who loved hospitality, loved cooking, 
cooking for their family, cooking for guests, cooking for the youth group that I worked with. Loved having people in my home. Loved a loved having college students in their home because, you know, college students were broke and and don't have a laundry that's free, so they would bring us in and feed us and let us do our laundry and that was great. But that was a form of hospitality. And I started learning that hospitality is one of the greatest things you can do for people. To welcome them into your home, to be gracious and generous to them, but not only with your stuff like the laundry and food. I mean, food for college students does not have to be really fancy. Usually pizza will help us get through finals or whatever, but more just their time. They would want to sit and talk with us and see how we are and see how our week was and how our walk is going with Christ and how it is in college and um, how are your friends. Just really wanting to get to know us as people. So that really stood out to me. Then, I mean, you always grow up thinking I'm going to get married right out of college and going to go to college and get married and have a family and Well, that didn't happen in my case. I mean, I went to college, then I ended up going to seminary, and surely I'm going to meet my husband in seminary. Well, that didn't happen either. So when I graduated seminary, I stayed in the Raleigh-Durham area and worked with college students. Like I was in college, I had people pour into me. I wanted to be that person for the college girls coming through. So I had a group of girls that I just adore. We're still friends today. Taught them a Bible study on Wednesday nights, but a lot of the weeks I'd have them over to my house. I'd show them how to cook a meal. I'd show them how to cook brownies. That's how I started blogging. Actually, I wanted to share my recipes with them so I could write them down and just send them a link so I wouldn't have to write it out on a piece of paper and then they'd lose it or I'd lose it or it'd get stained, but I could just email it to them and they could pull it up. So that was a way that I showed hospitality to them. I had a one-bedroom apartment for a lot of that time. Sometimes I had a roommate and we'd have a two-bedroom. But I didn't have a big house. I mean, I had a laundry and that was important, but I don't think I ever used that um, for ministry. But I did use the ministry of food and just being authentic and real with these college girls. And that stayed I mean, I still love college girls, but all of my college girls are grown and have families of their own. But I enjoy still knowing them, having walked with them through life and still staying in touch with them. Some of them are my dear friends. And when you live life with people, that relationship stays and it's grounded. But then I got married finally. I mean, I was 34, I think, 34 when I got married. And I really wanted a husband who had the same hospitality mentality as I did. Someone who wanted to have an open home where people could come in any night of the week, have dinner, or we'd have guests in, they'd stay with us. Or we'd have Bible studies in our home or home fellowship groups and the house would be clean for the most part. And 
Dinner or snacks would be served, whether homemade or store-bought. But we just wanted to live life with people. And that's how kind of we live our lives as a couple and as a family. We are what you get. I mean, what you see is what you get. Um, We are authentic. We're real. We want you to be real with us. We want to live life on life. Like we just don't want to see you on Sunday and say hi and how are you and get the pat answer. We love doing life with people and coming alongside people, knowing what's going on, having these real conversations because the gospel isn't shallow. And so when relationships are fed with the gospel, they have to go deeper. They have to go beyond the hey, how are you, or what you see on Instagram, or the little squares that show you how perfect life is, because life is not always perfect, as we well know. So in the years that we've been married, Eric and I have had our share of rejection by people, Um, whether it's um, in the church or outside of the church, whether it's dear friends or people we've only known for a short while. We know the hurt of rejection. We know the hurt that sin and humanity and pride can cause in a relationship. So in the last 10 years, the idea of hospitality has come to mean even more to me than it already did. Of course, I want to still live life on life with people and still be authentic. But I also have this idea That most people, if they've either messed up in life or have something going on in their heart or in their mind and they're struggling or they've done something they shouldn't do or they've been rejected by the church, quote, the church in general or a specific church or they've been hurt by the church. Those are the people that I want to hear their story I want to hear what God has done. I want to hear what God is doing. And I want them to feel comfortable around our table and in our home. Our home is not perfect. Our home is not always clean. I usually have something good here to eat. I mean, unless I just haven't gone grocery shopping. But I want... So when I designed our home um, lately, we've done some redesign. I've had a friend help me with the e-design of it to make it look all put together. But the overarching theme or feel of our home is a coziness and a comfortable, I want it to look lived in. I want people to walk in and feel like they can stay a while. I want them to be able to put their feet on the furniture. I want them to be able to eat in the living room. I don't want everything to be breakable. I love white and creams and blues, but I don't want it so pristine that you're afraid to like touch the furniture or whatever. I probably need to practice this more with the boys because we don't allow them to eat on our white couch. So we're working on that. When they grow up, maybe they'll be a little less messy. But again, our parenting job is never through. Um... But I really want people to feel like they can stay a while. And I want them to know that they are welcomed here, no matter the rejection that that they have faced. Um, 
whether it's a hurt in ministry. I mean, if you know anybody in ministry, then you know someone who has been hurt in ministry. If you are a pastor's wife, if you're a pastor listening to this, if you're someone who has taught Sunday school or been in the church for any period of time, you know that there's real hurt that comes from the church um, or from Christians within the church or even outside the church. Hurt does not get excluded just because you call yourself a church or, or are a believer because we're still sinful, sinful people who need redemption and who need sanctification. So we're not perfect. We never claim to be perfect, but we are willing to sit and share our lives with you and hear your story and, and offer you a place at our table to feel welcomed, to feel like you can share, to be, to not be rejected. Those are precious moments to me when people come into our home and open up their lives to us and eat the food that I serve. Those are some sweet times to me is sitting over food with people as we share our stories. But lavish hospitality did not start with me or with Ruth Reichel and Gourmet Magazine. Didn't start when the Food Network started. Didn't start in the 50s when the women wore pearls and cooked in skirts and pretty white shirts and aprons for their husbands to come home. No, it started way back at the beginning. One of the things I love is biblical theology. Nancy Guthrie has played a huge part in my love of that. And Sally Lloyd-Jones also has. She's a children's author who wrote the Jesus Storybook Bible. And just this theme of Jesus all the way through the Bible. And you see that is a way of biblical theology. Biblical theology is, is not... Bible doctrines where you're learning systematic theology of like, this is a, this is God is love and God is patient and God is kind and God is creator where you're learning things. It's more of how these themes in the Bible are carried all the way through and how we see this one continuous story of the gospel throughout all of the Bible. So I wanted to kind of walk you through that on the theme of hospitality. Not going to cover every bit of hospitality in this one podcast because I'll probably come back to it often. But I wanted to give you a brief look at the biblical theme of hospitality in the Bible. It starts in Genesis. I mean, everything starts in Genesis. But God wanted a people. He made a people. But before he made Adam and Eve, he could have created Adam and Eve day one. He could have. He could do anything. But he didn't. He first created a place for them. He created the heavens, the earth, the plants. I'm listening or I'm doing this podcast as I look out. I have camellias in my backyard. Here in Augusta, we have the azaleas that are just starting to bloom in time for the Masters Golf Tournament down the road. We built a pergola so I could sit out there and listen to the birds and have bees fly around and my kids could be playing on the trampoline and we have a row of gardenias and we have a dogwood, all these beautiful plants that God gave us to enjoy. He gave us animals that we could eat. 
He gave us fruits and vegetables that we could grow. Then he created Adam and Eve. He created Adam and Eve and placed them in the middle of a garden. That was beautiful. They had to work it. They had to name the animals and how they came up with a name like anteater is beyond me or a porcupine. I mean, I don't know what those names were in Hebrew, but who knows, or Aramaic, but they named him and God gave them to him and God was lavish with them. Do you know that God could have made the Garden of Eden like the most boring place in the world? Like he could have made one type of apple, one type of orange, one type of flower, but he wasn't. He was lavish and he was generous with his creation that he made for his people. He made for them a place. He prepared a place so that he could walk with them in the garden. They, they got to walk and talk with God. They got to have communion with God. They got to know him as their creator and as their sustainer. That was a perfect relationship until sin entered. And then I'm not going to get into that today, but I want to take you few books down the road to 2 Samuel. Um, this is probably my favorite, my favorite Old Testament story. We have King David and he has started his reign as the king over God's people. And in those days, if there was any remaining lineage family of the old king, they usually would want them dead because they didn't want anybody coming up and mounting an insurrection of, with the new king. And so they would have wanted to kill off Saul, who was the former king, Saul's family. Well, along comes Mephibosheth, and he was Jonathan's son, who was a good friend to David, and he was Saul's grandson. And that name, when you have a slight speech problem is really hard to say. I mean, I would have picked a better story to be my favorite Bible story. But anyway, the name Mephibosheth um, is in 2 Samuel. And King David wants to have a feast. And he asks his people, hey, is there any family of King Saul that I could have to show kindness to? Well, if you get that invitation and you're Mephibosheth, you're like, Okay, well, get my all my things in order. I'm going to go. They're going to kill me. It's nice knowing you. Okay, I'm going to die. Well, I'm going to go anyway. Okay, here we go. And you walk in. And, or actually, I don't know if he walked in because it says that when he was five and he was fleeing after he found out that Jonathan and Saul were both killed in battle, his caretaker, his nanny, his babysitter, his whatever you want to call it, was fleeing out and dropped Mephibosheth or Mephibosheth fell and became lame in both feet. But we don't know what that means. But obviously he had some imperfections and nobody likes to highlight their imperfections. So King David invites Mephibosheth to the palace and he makes him this dinner. And I imagine that even if you go eat dinner with the president... It's not going to be blue box mac and cheese. I mean, my sons would love that, 
but I'm sure it's not going to be that and peanut butter and jelly and Oreos. It's going to be lavish. It's going to be a feast with the king at the king's table. Mephibosheth sits down and he's not sitting in the servant's quarters. He's sitting at the king's table all because David wanted to show kindness to him, the kindness of God. And that is such a small picture of what God does for us. And we'll get to that. But I want to go from 2 Samuel. Of course, there's many other stories of hospitality in the Bible. But you get to John 1. Of course, all the Gospels talk about Jesus's incarnation and how he came from heaven to earth to live a sinless life, to be a perfect sacrifice for us who are sinners who need redemption. But John 1 says he pitched his tent and dwelt among us. He gave up everything. He gave up the right to his godness. We see that in Philippians chapter 2, that he humbled himself, became like a man, and dwelt among us so that we might know him, so that we might know God. That was the ultimate act of hospitality, that he would come to be around sinners, to be around people who were eventually going to kill him, to hang out with prostitutes, to become unclean by touching a leper, by working on the Sabbath to heal people, to hang out with tax collectors and sinners to hang out with people who were not looked highly upon by the ruling authorities. He touched a woman who had been bleeding, who was not even allowed in worship and who was so lonely. And Jesus is like, here, you're well. Like you touched me. Be clean. Be, be whole. Be well. So he does that to show us God the Father. To show us and be our friend. And I guarantee that Jesus would have sat around any table talking, hearing your story, hearing my story, hearing the story of whoever came and talked to him. Because he wanted to be our friend. He wanted to to show us God. He wanted to be like they say, for us to be Jesus with skin on to people. That's what he, Jesus was God with skin on. He literally was God and man and came and dwelt here and pitched his tent and made his home next to us. He'd be like your neighbor in your neighborhood, like right next to you, wanting to know you, wanting to live life on life with you, wanting to be authentic with you. Then we go from John to Revelation. And in Revelation 19, it talks about, the marriage supper of the Lamb. And I just want to read a few verses from Revelation 19 to you. I'm in Revelation 19, chapter 6. Then I heard what seemed to be the voice of a great multitude, like the roar of many waters and like the sound of mighty peals of thunder, crying out, Hallelujah! For the Lord our God, the Almighty reigns. Let us rejoice and exult and give him the glory for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. It was granted her to clothe herself with fine linen, bright and pure. 
for the fine linen is the righteous deeds of the saints. And the angel said, Write this, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are the true words of God. I do not know what the marriage supper of the Lamb will look like, but it'll be the ultimate example of lavish hospitality. It'll be the God who created people for his glory, who then sinned and broke that relationship. We did. And God in his perfection needed a way to make that right. And he sent Jesus and Jesus died on the cross and bore our sins, became wrath or became full of the wrath of God because all of God's judgment was on him on the cross. God couldn't look at his son because all of the sin of the world was on him at that moment. And he came and he had that perfect sacrifice for us so that one day we can sit at the marriage supper of the lamb and be with our God to be in his presence, to be fully known and fully loved. I think that's a Tim Keller saying, and I love that. At my table, I hope you'll get a piece of that. I hope that the food I make will serve as just a small taste of that welcoming-ness. I know that's not really a word, but I put ness on the end of a lot of words. But that welcome spirit that God desires for us. He desires it for us to have an open relationship with him, to be one where we can talk to him anytime. We can come to him. We can know his voice and his words by the word of God. We can communicate to him and hear from him in prayer and the word of God. And he desires that we live that way with other people, that we share our lives with people, that we're authentic with people, that we share our lives. And that is why I chose this title to title this podcast, Lavish Hospitality, because whether it's the people I bring on the show or just as I talk with y'all each week, I really want y'all to feel like you're at my table and we don't always have to agree on everything. We don't have to live the same lives. We can have our lives, but you're welcome here. And my table has paint on it. It has crayon on it, has oil pastels and markers. Our outside table has one of our children's names written in it. I mean, it's not a perfect home, but we're not perfect and you're not perfect, but you're still welcome. And I would pray that I would be welcome at your table or if we were sitting at a coffee shop that you would feel okay to share your story with me. And I would pray that I would receive your story and never make you feel shame for your story if you have anything negative in it or not feel like I couldn't be your friend, but that you would feel welcome and come sit at my table. So I would love to hear your thoughts on this if you have any or um, 
share some good recipes with me because I'm always looking for good recipes. But I have taken up a little bit more of your time than I thought, but you get me talking on this topic and I'm going to talk for a while. So I will talk to y'all later. Hope you have a great week.